And good afternoon. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Children of the Sun, a show dedicated to positive energy from a fifth dimensional point of view. We're here on AM 970 WSTX every Friday afternoon, 1230 to 2.30 Atlantic Standard Time. Atlantic Standard, because we are broadcasting out of the turquoise waters of the Caribbean from beautiful St. Croix. So I want to say good afternoon to all my listeners in Christianstead, Frederickstead, Kingshill, why not? Buck Island, why not? Sister Islands in the USVI, St. Thomas, St. John, Water Island, Sister Islands in the Caribbean, Tortola, Joss Van Dyke, British, British Virgin Islands in general, Up Island, Down Island, St. Kitts, Nevis, Antigua, Aruba. And good afternoon, welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the weekend to Puerto Rico. I know you're going through some struggles right now. And the Florida Keys. Um, you can guys can hear us on the AM signal if the ionosphere is cooperating. But actually, good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the weekend to the world because we are also broadcasting live on Facebook, YouTube, sometimes Twitch TV even. So um want to just say welcome to everyone, love to everyone in the world. My uh like I said, the show is dedicated to positive energy um, and people who are contributing positive energy, either locally, nationally, or globally. And I, my guest today certainly fits into that last category. It's having an effect worldwide from his humble homestead in New Mexico. So, um, Jesse, welcome to the program. Uh, Jesse Boudreau is my guest for today's Children of the Sun. Jesse, welcome to the program. Greetings, Ray. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming on. Let me just, we'll, we'll warm up by reading your bio. So let me get your bio and I'm going to read your bio to the folks. Um, Jesse Boudreau is a permaculture designer, a homesteader, and an herbalist in northern New Mexico. He is a Taoist and Buddhist and has been on the Pranic path for four and a half years, at which time he transitioned from raw food and fasting to the liquidarian lifestyle. He now is dry fasting 23 hours daily and juicing for an hour daily. Jesse's path of prana incorporates grounding, that's good, sun gazing, qigong, meditation, fasting, herbalism, and connecting with the four elements of earth, wind, fire, and water daily. The practice of cultivating the life of people and plants is a key part of his passion, profession, and philosophy. And um, he has a website, um, zia, Z-I-A, permaculture.com. You should check that out, www.ziapermaculture, all one word, .com. And he's going to be hosting an online uh, fasting and pranic living class. So you can come to that from wherever you are. And that'll be on October 8th. You can find that on Eventbrite. I'll put up some links to it um, with the show notes for the uh, program. So that is all really great. And um, 
Jesse, welcome to the program. I'm going to put you up and get myself. <clears throat> oh, oh. There we are. Nice smiling face. Mexico looks sunny right now. Oh, it is. We've had a, a little bit of rain, but it's usually pretty sunny here. We have many days of sun. Now you look all bright and full of energy, full of sunlight, full of prana. I mean, so your bio is probably a whole lot of things there that some of my listeners um, may not even know what they are. Um, maybe, well, what exactly is a herbalist? I mean, you, more. I mean, it's uh, you know sometimes people might think that's like. Uh, you know, Julia Child, and you know which kind of parsley to use for for which French dish. But I think you're <laughs> into it a lot more than that. So tell us, tell us about your your herbalism. What does that mean to you? So herbalism is a modality of healing, uh, utilizing plant medicine um, of you know all kinds. Um, it's essentially, you know it was the form of medicalism across the earth until fairly recently until basically industrialization you know just maybe a couple 150 years or so uh where you know people turned more towards you know a lot of our modern day medicines are essentially derived from plants but chemically synthesized in a laboratory um and so uh, it's just, uh, you know, connecting in with the, the plants that are around you, but also now in this day and age, we have access to plants worldwide that we can use uh, for the aspect of healing. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of times, it's not a coincidence that plants are around you with people and animals, they, they get sick. I don't know how to put this. It's like, if you're sick, there's probably a plant near you that is exactly what you need. It's like, it's no coincidence. And I also, you know, the, the, the plants I, I've read where people um, Ooh, It's breaking up really bad, brother. kind of froze up. Hmm. You're frozen still, my brother. They, and, that, and that there's plants have, plants have uh, ingredients in it that Hmm. Plant, plants have uh, ingredients in them that they don't even know about. Indeed. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely the case uh, that the medicines you need are usually growing right around you, the you know, plant medicines. And uh, if you, you know, just think about you know, the logic of it, you know, hundreds of years ago, people didn't have ac ac um, access to 
hospitals and modern day medicines. It was uh, a working knowledge that had been uh, growing over generations of understanding the plants that were right around you that you could use for healing. Yeah. And even the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. You know, that um, yeah. the things that grow around, even the food stuff can be medicine or poison, you know, um, and even poisons you can use uh, for healing if you know uh, for the what ailment and proper dosage and administration of, you know, the herb. So it's, you know, it's an ancient craft. It's something that uh, is, you know, sort of going through a renaissance right now where people are wanting to have, especially through this like global health crisis, you know, access to um, ways to heal themselves cheaply and naturally and with what's around them. So it's, it's really, there's a lot to it, you know, but yeah. in simplistic terms, it's, it's just using plants to heal. Um, using plants to heal. So how many um, herbs and plants, um, like, do you, do you uh, tell, teach about, do you know about, and, and uh, I know you resonate especially with the Dallas approach to it maybe talk a little bit about how what that approach is like and like if people are working with you you know how you talk to them about what the different plants are and can you like pair could a, could the average person pair it down to like you know five essential and ten nice to have or if they have like a really special condition they got to do like 200 but you know because you're such a, a wealth of encyclopedic knowledge what 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 how do you think about all the different plants and what, what people should do well according to the Taoist, there's uh you know three classes of herbal medicines there's like uh the superior class of herbs and those oh, are tonic i want that i want those those, those are the best ones um they're ones that you can use as a food you can use daily and there'll never be contraindications for them. Um, so these are things like uh, a lot of the medicinal mushrooms like reishi and lion's mane and cordyceps. And um, uh, they tend to be uh, adaptogenic or dual directional, which means like with respect to reishi, it has an affinity for the immune system. So if you have autoimmunity, you know, something like lupus or HIV, it'll bring your immune system down a little bit. And if you have low immunity, it'll bring it up. Um, so there's a, a vast number of Taoist uh, tonic herbs. And those are things that I really like to work with because of uh, this uh, being never contraindicated and they're only gonna essentially make you more adaptive um, or or different, you know, organ systems, your respiration or your, you know, immune system or, you know, what have you. <clears throat> and um, so those are things like the, like the top, top ones are like reishi, ginseng, you know, um, uh, astragalus, uh, 
there's quite a few, you know, things like gynostemma, uh, Siberian ginseng, um, uh, goji berries, you know, mm. but these don't always grow everywhere on the earth. And I'm very fond of uh, connecting in with the wild foods and medicines that are around you in your locale. And that there's certain plants and foods that follow the human footprint everywhere that people right. can connect with and use as foodstuffs that are going to be superior foods. You know, things like uh, grass juice, all the grasses worldwide are edible. You can take the juice and grass it. And that's, I mean, the grass and juice it. <laughs> and those are, that's really super high in chlorophyll and nutritive value and essentially can be uh, just very nourishing to the blood and basically your whole, your whole body. Uh, it's more nutrient dense than most of the foods we buy from the store by a lot. Wow. Um, wow. There's things like uh, malva, which, you know, I know you're in the islands there. Hibiscus is in the malva family, for instance. And those yeah, are- Yeah, we have hibiscus. People make, um, uh, we, we make like a, 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 a kind of a, um, infusion from it, hibiscus tea, but it's usually yeah. sort of cold. Right, yeah, so this is the kind of the thing is a lot of the stuff is already there and being used, you know, has been traditionally used. Mm. And that's, you know, been part of the journey for me is realizing that things that people did traditionally, they did for a reason and especially uh, sort of regionally specific. Um, so, um, you know, but there's, there's lots of plants. There's actually, you know, this 13, um, there are things like alfalfa, uh, clover, chickweed, dandelion, you know, uh, dock, let's see, grass, uh, knotweed, lamb's quarter, um, the uh, mallows, mustards, purslane, plantain, and I don't mean plantain like platanos, you know, like the the bananas, but it's a little little green leaf. Um, let's see, uh, and thistle. So th those are some uh, herb foods that that you know, like they you know, wherever human beings uh, have disturbed soil, these plants <laughs> pop up. You know. Cool. But then there's, you know, like, there's a lot of regionality to it. It's part of my whole approach is that let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy folk food. So it, depending on where you are, like, you know, uh, in the Caribbean islands there, there's lots of coconut, you know, and coconut is an amazing superfood. So that's, that's another thing I'm really into is the whole thing of superfoods, which are essentially just foods that have been staple foods across the planet. Here in New Mexico, there are things like blue corn, you know, which is high in antioxidants, you know, um, and, uh, you know, another one that's popular world round is like aloe, you know, that's right, very yeah. emulsion and will heal like your uh, gastrointestinal tract and is, you know, very nourishing, you know, so I, I, tend to work with uh, these food things and share that in classes. And I like to share about how we're all constitu uh, an amalgamation of the 
um, elements of earth, wind, fire, and water that, um, yep. and this ties in with uh, the Taoist uh, alchemical perspective of healing as well as Ayurvedic uh, understanding of, you know, we could think of it in modern terms of like uh, solid liquid gas and energy, but it's, it's also has to do with like constitution, um, you, you know, sort of the endomorph, ectomorph, mesomorph typology, but that, you know, and that relates in Ayurveda to like uh, uh, kapha, pitta, and vata. So kapha's are tend to be more heavy set as a little more earth and water energy and then pitta is fire. They tend to be like athletic build, very energetic. Vata tends to be tall, thin, really intelligent, but also tend maybe ungrounded, you know. And so we can utilize, uh, we can see in plants also this reflection of earth, wind, fire, and water in terms of their uh, action on different organ systems, whether they're warming and drying or cooling and, and moistening, you know, and um, the five flavors of salty, sweet, bitter, pungent, and um, sour, and how these have different actions in the body. Um, so, you know, like sweet is building and nourishing. Uh, salty is building but grounding. Sour is astringent and will relieve water from the body. You know, in cases of like edema, for instance. Um, okay. And then, and then uh, pungency tends to be like, think of like ginger or chili or garlic. It, it tends to be uh, circulatory, you know, and, and bitters tend to be digestive. Um, that shudder you get when you eat something bitter is actually your vagus nerve being uh, triggered so that your, your body goes into digestion and starts excreting bile and things like that for for digestion that sounds like it would be a good like a healthy and good thing to do from time to time yeah generally speaking culturally world worldwide we're accustomed to sweet and salty which is basically diabetes or hypertension you know <laughs> yeah and and we really need all five flavors you know for the best digestion and assimilation you know um and you know sort of well-roundedness in our diet and that is in a lot of you know um cooking because people just intuited a lot of this stuff uh and you know over time honed it and it became like i said before traditions that people you know started to utilize uh as part of daily life um right. so uh and did then you, there's did also you ever like wonder how the very first person who put a plant in his mouth knew it would heal him and not kill him they actually did studies on this. They were wondering how it was, you know, that people, it was long thought that people and animals, like they would eat this and then Uncle Clyde died from eating that. And so they didn't eat that anymore, you know. That's a clue. But um, so they did a study where they took bonobo monkeys and they put them on an island where they didn't know any of the indigenous flora or fauna. And they found that the animals were able to uh, intuit and just know what they need and it's because your body is like this highly sensitive biochemical laboratory it's part of our sense meditation that we've lost because we just go over for what's cravings art we have or our habits 
but wow you know, so your body knows even if you don't yep through you know beginning with smelling and tasting like with the tip of your tongue you know like if you're going to have anaphylaxis to something and you just take a tiny bite and roll it around your tongue you'll start to feel an itch in your throat instantaneously so you'll know that that's something that's not good for you you know um and it's so it's something we try to teach people um because we take people out on walks and get them accustomed to wild foods and uh you know uh, try to get people to drop into a sort of a, a, a sense meditation where they're connecting with their you know sense faculties and and uh, how these things feel in their body by by slowly in, with a slow gentle approach where you don't you know just jump in and have a big meal of something that uh, a foraging book tells you is edible but you start on an empty belly and you take one little nibble after you look at it you smell it you taste it let it roll in your mouth and take a little bit down and see if you can sense where it's hitting in your body and how it feels for you then you can start to like reappropriate this awareness of uh what is medicine and what is not because we're all uniquely different in our constitution and our genealogical um you know uh sort of past and healing needs so it's it's a process of relearning to trust ourselves and trust our inner yeah. awareness and guidance. So, yeah, yeah, and you know, I was thinking about the other thing you are into is um, homesteading, and I was thinking, you know, as you were talking about the herbs and the foods, we can get every the earth supplies everything we need all the food that we need to eat and all the medicine that we need if we get sick. But then other people come along and insert themselves into the middle of it as middlemen regulating what you get and how you get it. And so as a homesteader, you become free of that and you have your, your own food and your own medicine. Um, and I guess you live off the grid as well as much as possible. I mean, talk to us about homesteading in general, like what, why you're interested in it, and um, uh, well, maybe in particular, what are the challenges and opportunities in New Mexico? Yeah, so, you know, homesteading, herbalism, and the pranic lifestyle have all attracted me just because of uh, the inborn desire for freedom and sovereignty, you know, and, um, so and, and this and growing into this awareness and living this uh way in which uh we can know that we ha are our, you know um we are all we need our our inner resources and our bodies have uh within them everything we need to provide for our own needs you know and so homesteading yeah uh, here in New Mexico, it's very dry. It's very, you know, challenging to to grow all the food you want. And so I have been, you know, working towards that goal of growing everything that I need for my family and myself. And um, so it's here. It's seasonal too, where we have cold, cold winters and snow and all of that. So um, it's that whole thing of it gets you moving in rhythm with the seasons 
So spring, you got to get out there and get planting and you're starting to harvest like the wild edibles that are coming up, you know, dandelion greens and, uh, you know, mallow and uh, things that are starting to present themselves at the same time as you're, you know, getting your garden ready. I like to practice uh, something called permaculture, which is a design system uh, that is kind of uh, this man, Bill Mollison, and a few others have put together, as well as other people on the planet who are kind of donning upon it on their own, like uh, um, Mas uh, what's his Masanobu Fukuoka, you know, uh, and learning to create system, perennial systems like a forest. Um, so here behind me, I, you can kind of see maybe a little bit my food forest, um, where I have yeah. it designed such that I have an overstory, an understory, a shrubbery layer, an herbaceous layer of all perennial foods. That means foods that will grow back year after year, you know, and I have tried to grow as much of variety as possible so that I'm not leaning on one crop. And I have things like nuts in there and fruits in there and, you know, berries and greens and um, herbs and, you know, for cooking, but also medicinally. Um, so between that and lear learning foraging, I do what I can to fill. I have an apothecary inside where I have stored up, you know, wild mushrooms and teas and um, plant medicines. And I make tinctures and, and salves and stuff to keep on hand. We harvest, you know, uh, and dry things or freeze them or can them, you know, um, and uh so it's this way you know it's basically going i'm a bit of a luddite maybe i i like the old way of living you know to to be in connection with the earth you know and uh to be connected with my food one of, one of my teachers says you know if your relationship with food breaks down all of your other relationships break down because this is the basic fundamental relationship we have with the earth and like yeah, you were saying, I, mean, I know, you know, they say that we have modern conveniences, but it just seems like the, the, the closer you are to the soil and the simpler your life, the more happy and grounded you are and the more involved, you know, the more that people are going to fast food restaurants and grocery stores, is they're more disconnected and unhappy. And I know, I mean, I... You know, I, I notice that as a definite feature of life. You, you, it's hard not to see it once you become aware of it. You start seeing it everywhere. Yeah, everything has been commodified. Everything is uh, uh, put into the supply and, and demand chain, you know, for the interest of, you know, economics and people pursuing businesses. And I'm all for business. But it's this thing of like, there's got to be a balance, you know, a harmonization yeah. of sorts where we're not depleting the earth and we're not robbing people of the fulfillment, you know, of uh, and skill set and uh, that is also connected with our individual sovereignty, our ability to, you know, say what goes, you know or we're yeah. at the, the whim of the system as it is. And if, you know, 
we had like a lot of people are talking about the potential of a grand solar flash that would maybe knock out all of the Earth's grid systems and how that would fundamentally be extremely problematic worldwide in terms of the supply and demand chain, you know, in terms yeah. of people's basic needs for food and medicine, you know. So uh, that's been in the back of my mind. That's, I'm more, I just want to live this life anyways. I want to be, you know, in the, can, I want to get up in the morning and have my feet bare on the ground and out in the sun, you know, and growing food for my family, knowing where it comes from, knowing that it's fresh. Most of the food we buy, you know, especially here in the States is grown somewhere else and then picked green, shipped a long way. It's losing its nutrient density during the whole while, you know, it's losing its biophotonic energy, you know, and uh, it's, you know, uh, they say even just from modern industrial farming practices that an orange from 50 years ago, you have to eat six oranges today to have the equivalency of nutrition of that one orange. Um, so this is wow. going to be negatively effective to the future generations if we don't, you know, take responsibility for our soil and our local food systems um, and cut out all of the, uh, you know, sort of uh, embedded energy and carbon and what have you in our modern systems where food is moving all over the planet at great distances. You know, if we can get into local food sheds, you know, and healing the, the soil because this, the soil actually also, uh, um, what do you call it? it uh, you can store carbon in the soil you know, through plants and through the microbiome of the soil, uh, the, all the different fungi and bacteria and stuff, they, there's actually 90% of life lives below the soil and, right. and the rest of it is up above, you know, so through tilling, through chemical agriculture, you know, through the use of things like Roundup and glyphosate, we're destroying that soil ecology, which is so fundamental to our life and the life of all the life up here on the surface of the planet. Um, yeah. So. I mean, and, and doing that probably contributes to global warming because it's not keeping the carbon out. It's not sequestering the carbon. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, sequestration. You know, and, and that's. But well, that was really an amazing thing you said a little bit ago. You would have to eat six oranges from today, six, six of today's oranges to get the nutrition of one orange from 50 years ago. Yep, that's right. And that's how much we've depleted things. Exactly. So it's going, you know, even beyond and above, whether it's organic or not, you're just not even getting the nutrition. Yep. Yeah, uh, and it, it, that's another way in which we've been, you know, sold a false bill of goods or had the middleman separate us from true health is, you know, the whole thing of organics. According to Fukuoka, organic food should be cheaper than chemically produced food. If you think about it, there's not all this uh, cost of tractors and chemicals and all that stuff that's subsidized by governments, you know, yeah. so that it is cheaper. And then the organic farmer that's small has to charge more just to keep their life their you know livelihood together and 
you know, so I'm all about like education and revivifying, you know, getting people to homestead at their own place, uh, whatever level you can have a very small yard or even a balcony in which you grow some food in some pots and get yourself some, you know, uh, free food and food should be, we're the only being, we're the beings of highest consciousness. And yet we're the only beings that pay to live on this planet. You know, um, all the other beings live from what is here and we actually fill an ecological niche when we insert ourselves into you know the garden and uh grow things and we start doing carbon sequestration we make habitat for bees and then it aids to community resilience if everyone had a backyard garden you know and the food system goes down we still have food and we can trade and you know have this resilience um through growing for ourselves um so if someone wanted to start a backyard permaculture garden um do you have like um information available for them or like like a, like a basic simple thing they could they could start with before they started getting really you know big and complicated well, small is beautiful. Even if you can just grow one little garden bed with, you know, some tomatoes and some greens or some, you know, whatever your favorite uh, annual foodstuffs are, that gets you connected with it. It's also part of the health path that I try to teach, you know, and live from is, you know, when you're physically grounded and touching the earth, your body is absorbing probiotic from the soil. You're exchanging negative electrons that are healing you. You know, uh, when you're in the sun, sorry, when you're in the sun, you're getting vitamin, your body is creating vitamin D, which improves your immunity. You know, um, when you're outside, you're getting greater oxygenation by like a hundred times than when you're inside, you know, you're getting that air, earth, wind, fire, and water, you know, and when you're connected with your waters and you realize how precious they are because they build our bodies, and, you know, we won't be polluting them, you know, so uh, all that happens when you just step outside and work in a little, little plot in your garden. So you can start with one little bed and, you know, working with permaculture concepts such as uh, biodiversity and biointensive gardening, gardening, where you're layering things and growing vertically. So, um, <clears throat> for instance, you could be growing like cucumbers or melons on a trellis you know as well as like your tomatoes as well as like you know maybe broccoli and and mixed greens all in like a layered system you know uh that's really tight uh and um you know that there's a lot of lot in a small space that actually helps uh in terms of like there's certain plants for for instance that aid one another that will build the soil for one another or like garlic for instance is anti-pathogenic anti so you can plant that like with your fruit trees and or you know things like comfrey that will build the soil you know you can plant that with your fruit trees and that will keep you know uh things like gophers away or not so much that but more like pathogenic bacteria um okay terms of garlic so they kind of they kind of work together like a team and protect yeah. each other. 
Exactly. So you're seeking to build guilds and through observation of nature, we can see the ways in which nature does this already and just mimicry of that. So you can go from that all the way up to creating like a food forest in your backyard where you have like, oh. I'm trying to think of like St. Croix there, like, you know, you may have, you know, uh, uh, coconuts at the top, you know, uh, layer at the overstory layer. And then under that, you may have some citrus, you know, and under that, you may have like some hibiscus and some uh, aloe, you know, and under that, you know, you're maybe planting, I don't know, mints or things for tea, you know, uh, whatever plants there that are have that like um, herbaceous layer. Um, and you could grow that in combination with your beds that are growing you know, in this layered system of like, you know, cucumbers or melons or whatever, and, you know, tomatoes. And so wow. you can interplant your perennials with your annuals and have, you know, a great diversity of food. Um, because that's one of the big problems is what's happening right now with agriculture is they till large swaths of land. They plant it with one plant. The tilling alone destroys the structure of the microorganisms in the soil, it releases carbon. More carbon is released every year through tillage of soil than from us driving automobiles, for instance. Because wow. it's been made inert over centuries, you know, and millennia by plants and by microorganisms. And when we turn it up, we're actually desertifying the planet and releasing more carbon into the air. Um, so if and then also if it has to be chemically sprayed because if one little blight or one little pest comes in then it can knock out thousands of acres of food you know right. but when you have this diversity going on if something comes in it just knocks out a little bit and you still have all these other foods you know um, yeah i've been reading lots of articles lately about how our global food supply is in jeopardy from drought because we have such a monoculture like three basic food crops and it's like, it, just knowing practically nothing about any of this, I'm just saying, you know, common sense, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, it, it's, it does make common, it seems common to be common sense. Common sense is <laughs> increasingly uncommon, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, if, if you need billions of dollars a year in subsidies to keep your food thing going, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> it, yeah, and it leads to this uh, poor nutrition, you know, where we're, we yeah. have a limited amount of, of foods and, and we're depleting the soil. So um, it's, I see as be, us being beings of higher consciousness that this is our responsibility to the other beings here and to ourselves, you know, kind of like, you know, you, you don't leave your home a mess, you know, um, you got to... Right. You know, keep your your house together you know or it'll fall apart literally you know um, yeah well so. i mean so that's part of like your whole path that you're pursuing is higher consciousness and you've mentioned a couple of times like sovereignty and you have everything within your body that you need so that's why you're doing this prana dry fast 23 hours of dry fasting and then one hour of juicing liquidarian lifestyle and that's like you know heading towards ultimate freedom so um uh, 
um, talk about that, explain, define that, because some people listening to this show don't know what liquidarian means, they don't know what chronic lifestyle means, and and they don't, may not even know what a dry fast means. And um, so talk about like um, why you're, what that is at 23 hours and then one hour, like is that, would that be considered intermittent fasting? It's a form of intermittent fasting, but uh, it's a very extreme form. Uh, it's something I've built. It's not something I would suggest people jump right into. It's something. Yeah, to- yeah. You built up to. It. You didn't just do it overnight. It, it took me about a decade to get to this point, you know. And really, what it is is the recognition that we are energy beings first and foremost. And as I was, you know, exploring this path of healing, you know, through plants and the elements, you know, and you know, a chemical sort of occult understanding from the Taoists and from the Buddhists and from the, you know, Ayurvedic tradition, there's this whole concept of chi or prana, which is the energy or life force that runs through everything. And literally, your body is electric. You you have electricity running through you. Um, and it's, uh, it's measurable. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's ways that the ancients knew to develop this and refine it. And actually many of them in more numbers than we realize, I wouldn't say many, it's not like the majority, but many people learn to live completely without food or water. Um, And it's through uh, the development of, uh, through practice, through nutrition, there's sort of six limbs. There's, um, sexual energy cultivation or you know um uh temperance you know that your sexual energy like a plant like you know when a uh plant sets uh fruit and seed it expends itself and then it you know has to recede you know similarly this is like especially in the well in the case of men and women but in the case of men your cerebral spinal fluid is your seminal fluid. And so as we are, you know, if we're not temperate with our sexual energy, we, we lose our energetic uh, health, you know, and our vitality. And this is something they talk about in, in Taoism, you know, but that sexual energy is also connected with just your creative energy and your, you know, the things you do and, you know, And within like the realm of like work, for instance, you know, if you're trading your, your time and you're not getting a a good return on your investment of energy, you're going to deplete your, your energy, you know? Um, So trying, trying to find, you know, an energetic balance so that you don't come home completely wiped and stressed out at the end of the day, you know? So there, there's that end of things there you know and how that bleeds into relationship there's also um nutrition and fasting so a lot of people are getting into fasting in this day and age and there's been lots of medical science starting to vet the uh amazing benefits of fasting and how actually by overeating which our whole global culture does we deplete ourselves energetically because your body has to you know, exude enzymes and energy to break down excess food, you know, and then your metabolism can never go into autophagy and clean up metabolic waste 
And so the, the whole system starts to get more sluggish and we get this over accumulation in our bodies, you know, especially from certain foods, but, um, you know, and that we're also uh, primarily beings of water. We need water. If you think about it, you know, anyone could go many weeks without food. Uh, people can go less long without water and uh, even less so without the breath. So that goes into the, the next thing of like breath work and energy cultivation through things like meditation and qigong and yoga that you know open up the fascia and and keep the spine straight and so this energy this electricity can flow through our bodies you know um let's see i kind of hit three of them what are the other ones <laughs> i have to think um for a moment i'm ill prepared offhand uh uh, so yeah, on the other side of nutrition, like giving yourself the best foods, you know, biophotonic rich foods or raw foods tend to be more rich in electricity. There's something called Kirlian photography, where you can like slice an apple and take a picture of it and see the photons that are coming off of it. If you cook that same apple, it's going to have less water, less nutrient and less photons, you know, so yeah. it's, um, there's things like sun gazing. Uh, and grounding where you're gathering negative ions from the earth and you're you're or sun gazing is a practice an ancient vedic practice that you do first hour or last hour of the day where you stare at the sun and the, your eyes being a windows to the soul you know this is actually bringing energy into the body it's stimulating your pineal gland and right. decalcifying it it's processing st stress hormones like cortisol um and it, it builds this relationship with water and grounding and sun gazing builds uh, in your body something called exclusion zone water which is like a uh liquid crystal crystal jelly a fourth phase of water that on one side has a negative charge and the other side has a positive charge so this is like a body battery as is eating more raw foods where you're getting your body to be more alkaline because when the, the deep side of alkalinity burns less than the shallow side of acidity and most diseases inflammation when we eat acidic foods or even have acidic thoughts this starts to burn up our body um so it's like this recognition and awareness practice uh, and so i've started off with doing raw foods i needed i had a healing crisis come where i found myself allergic to uh you know basically uh, uh you know lactose casein and um gluten you know so i couldn't do dairy and i couldn't do wheat and all that stuff and i as a buddhist i've been wanting to try vegetarianism for a long time so i transitioned into raw foods and that just totally changed my life i had such an amazing healing journey uh working with raw foods and that's what got me involved with also more with growing food and finding all these herbal medicines you know to work with uh, because i just started feeling better and better energetically spiritually you know uh, physically uh, just happy you know and what about clarity of mind definitely all of that and you know you just have 
you know, when your body doesn't have to exude like, you know, your enzymes and energy and everything to break food down, you know, but because your, your, your raw food has enzymes in it and energy in it, you know, and when you work with fasting and you clean up this meta, you know, your metabolism so that everything can run efficiently, um, more energy can go into cognition and, and you definitely just leaps and bounds of moving into like more brightness, which is, you know, I I think of it as enlightenment that that we're all intrinsically intelligent and we all have the potential for, you know, consistently improving enlightenment by bringing more light into our body, literally more electricity into our life, you know, and making our, our, our bodies more electric. So, um, that's is yeah. that's kind of a short. Yeah, it's like when I, you when you stop over consuming poison, it's amazing how much better you feel. It's it's incredible, and it's you know I used to I remember early on in the journey, like you know having a salad and just getting like giddy and happy and laughing and almost like high, you know. Yeah. And my wife would be like, "What's up with you?" And I was just like, <laughs> oh, "The salad is so good," you know. And I was just after, you know, after years of struggling with, you know, uh, I was eating organically and studying permaculture and practicing that, but I was burning my sexual energy, you know, because I was, you know, was an oversexed young male, you know, I was burning my, you know, creative energy in that I was like going to work, you know, for long hours and stressing too much. I was eating foods that were poisonous to me and drinking alcohol and things that were it's poison you know coffee and all these things were creating inflammation and and stagnation and pain and disease you know and the contrast of moving away from that to being in true health you know and being liberated you know was just so amazing and so fun that you know I've been on a journey and mission ever since you know to share this with as many people as i can because i think this is the divine commons of humanity um so what 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 is the um um 23 hours a day dry fast thing about and then only eating one hour um so no how long have you been doing this now uh i think it's like my 120th day so no solid foods for 120 days yep and I've been actually a uh, liquidarian for four and a half years at this point. Um, oh, so now you just like shrunk the window where you actually drink the liquid to one hour yeah. a day. That's right. Um, uh, so what is, what's the, what's the thinking behind it? Why do you want to go um, 23? I mean, I guess part of that's you're asleep. So, but you're, you're basically not eating all day except for one hour. And is, does that include the prep time? Because it takes you a while to juice up everything. No, that that doesn't include the prep time. I get everything set, and I so I'll you're, have... al- you're allowing yourself to eat for one hour or to drink for one hour. That's okay, right. Okay, so what is the and wh- all right, why are you doing? Tell why are you doing this? What's the thinking behind it? So this is part of moving towards that pranic state, like I was telling you about, where. Um, it's just it was part of the dawning as I got into fasting, you know, is that we don't even really need a lot of the herbal foods and medicines. Our body knows how to self-heal. 
you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you you do need to work with these other modalities of like the breath, particularly, you know, and getting out in nature, you know, because you can't just stop eating food being an energetic being. You need energy from other places, you know. And this can also be things like you know, joyful relationship or meaningful work. But the the whole idea is that. We are energy beings and, and that we don't really need anything. We're self-organized energy beings. Your body is a piezoelectric, uh, pyroelectric carbon silica crystal. And your DNA and your pineal gland are um, uh, transmitter receivers of light and energy. And so, and, you know, even if you just think, in, or like if you think of like the quantum, you know, uh, potential, uh, of your biology that we're enmeshed in multiple dimensions simultaneously and that if you split one of your atoms there's so much energy in one of your atoms it would cause a cataclysmic explosion you know mm -hmm. so um, it's moving into that awareness and through practice you know in a practical way that we are energy beings and that we're self-organized completely so um, and dry fasting you know just to detail that that's you know, no food or water. Um, so um, one day of dry fasting is like three days of water fasting because the body will get into uh, the interstitial waters and cleaning out, you know, because we get this accumulation, you know, of heavy metals, of, you know, toxic substances, you know, things like glyphosate that get into your deep tissue that, you know, it, it's hard to wash out, but if you do dry fasting, it starts to wring out those interstitial waters, infiltrate the kidneys in a greater way. You can get, you know, crystallization of your kidneys just from the minerals in your water or too much salt, you know, so. Um, so that's like where if you're you're, not, so if you're, if you're not, uh, if you're dry fasting, you're not drinking, your body is going after whatever water it can find and it starts pulling out these interstitial waters that um, normally don't get um, used and, and purified. I mean, you're basically getting out the, the old stuff that may be full of heavy metals and toxins from years ago. I, I, well, I don't know about you, but when, when I was a child, the uh, mosquito truck would come by in the neighborhood spraying mosquito spray and be like this fog. And all the neighborhood kids would run and play in it. We'd run behind the truck, jumping up oh. and down. It was always the coolest thing. And nobody stopped us, none of the adults. And it was DDT. So I like grew up playing in DDT. So I'm sure oh, I got, yeah. And yeah. I don't think it was, uh, I'm not the only person, anybody that grew up in a mosquito rich uh, uh, area back back in those years probably has a similar experience. I was just talking with a man about this, you know, who was at one of our classes in, in the last couple of weeks, you know, and just how the prevalent use of DDT was until they they found out how toxic it is. You know, and I just, just thought, yeah, we'll just throw this toxic stuff everywhere, you know, and we're still <laughs> doing that, you know, with yeah. other things like glyphosate, you know, which glyphosate, if you're not aware what that is, it's, uh, it was Agent Orange. It was used oh. to clear the, the jungles of 
Vietnam by destroying the microbes in the soil and making it so the plants couldn't live, you know. And when you get, it's a really strong antibiotic. And when we get that in us, it does the same thing with our microbiome and our ability to digest and assimilate food, you know. So we have like all this pressure on us from chemical agriculture, food that is less net nutrient dense, our microbiome of our own bodies being compromised and unable to assimilate, you know, and all of it is, you know, connected with our eating patterns and habits, you know, uh, culturally and individually. So, you know, that's the other thing about growing your food, you know, or just buying organics even is you're, you're um, changing that um, system. You're changing, you're not upholding and putting energy into that system that is depleting us all. And so, yeah, and I know I grew up eating plenty of McDonald's and kinds of junk food. Oh, looks like. Okay, we're back. Got disconnected okay. for a second there. Yeah. Okay, but we've got most of it. Um, yeah. So, it, it, I mean, how much of this is, um, I mean, really ready to give up food entirely, but the mind wants to hold on to your little one hour of indulging. That, that so that becomes a thing is you know there's this intimate connection between body and mind and you have to uh give uh you know uh love and uh allowance to both as you and so i've built this over a long time first i was doing raw foods for and then eventually i just wasn't interested in my smoothie at breakfast anymore started having it at like lunchtime around you know 12 or 1 and then eventually I moved to one meal a day of raw foods, you know, and it wasn't, all of this was uh, unintended. I had learned about breatharianism, which, you know, that's what a lot of people call this, you know, or anedia, um, partly from the, the sun gazing practitioner that I was listening to, because um, at that time when I was having, you know, this health crisis, I needed to heal my body and my mind. So I started meditating again started sun gazing and this practitioner of sun gazing was saying like yeah if you do this long enough you can transfer your your needs from the sun rather than from food and and you know all of the while I thought well wouldn't that be cool but I didn't think I was actually going there but by the consistency and practice of these things of you know fasting of eating right of you know sun gazing and meditation and honoring your energy, you know, uh, it just naturally builds. So I released breakfast, I released lunch, and then I started getting into fasting more, just out of interest. And uh, all the while I'm like studying all this esoteric stuff from the Taoists and, you know, from Ayurveda and in running into interesting people like my teacher, Ellie Tom, who has been living without food or water for a long time you know uh he came out and taught with me here at my homestead and we were together for like two weeks or so and he didn't right. eat or drink one little bit and we hiked all over the desert and you know he you know, was bike riding back and forth yeah Ella Tom Ella Meme. he's been on he's been a guest on my my program and 
Um, yeah, so you were with, and he has not eaten for like 20, 30 years. I forget exactly how old he is, but, um, uh, and you, you know, a lot of people have the same experience. They're with him for weeks and they, and they can tell you, he does not eat. This is not some like, uh, he's pretending or anything. It's like, we're, we're around him all the time. He's not eating. Yeah. So, you know, it's a state of total freedom. You know, and I remember yeah, if, he, you don't, if you don't have to that really, if you don't have to eat, then that gives you all kinds of um, uh, space. Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember him walking around with me and looking at me with a glint in his eye and just being like, you know what this means, right? We can do anything. You know, Wait, what did he say? You know what this means? What? We can do anything. Oh, right. Right. You know? uh, yeah, that's what I was. <clears throat> I was saying that on one of my um, Zoom classes. It's like, I'm just doing this to show you that you what's possible for human beings. Like anything is possible. You don't need to be living in a conditioned, small, little, limited thinking box. Exactly. That's uh, the main uh, thing to hack is our minds. You know, we've yeah. been told about all of our limitations, but all of them are our limitations are just self-perceived and self-imposed so we can grow beyond them. So that's what this process has been. And, you know, so like four and a half years ago, I got in, into it deeply with the breatharianism and I did a four and a half day dry fast. And then, you know, that was just enough for me to break that concept in my mind that you had to drink water every three days or you would die, you know? Right. And, and then I, uh, just started practicing liquidarianism. Anything you can do for 30 days or more, uh, you can do as a lifestyle. So I committed myself to 30 days of liquidarianism. And that went on for four and a half years. And then just this year, and this is the way I suggest people do it, is just follow your body and your consciousness when they connect up. If you try to push, my brother says, it's kind of crude, but it's funny. He says, love is like a fart. If you have to push, it's probably shit. You know, <laughs> um, that, that, you know, this can happen naturally as you just build it, you know. And so this summer, I just felt moved to start doing 23-hour dry fast. I had been doing 16 to 18-hour dry fast every day and juicing the rest of the day, having whatever teas and juice and broth I wanted just at my leisure you know, and then I moved in to this over the summer and it's been amazing. I love it. I feel more energetic, more clear. And it is also breaking that concept in my mind that I need it. And that I'm really very aware that, uh, especially with what I have when I'm, when I'm breaking my fast, like I have, I go ahead and have like a juice feast. I'll have like, you know, a bunch of melon juice and like my superfood shake and like my my douse herds and like a, a chocolate drink and you know like that it's really just satiating that part of me that just still wants some stuff and that was actually some of the recommendations from ellie tom at a certain point i was already liquidarian and he told me eat once a week with your family you know just so you stay connected with them and that it's all about <clears throat> like wrapping up these relationships you know you want to if you have, you know, a, a, like an intimate relationship with, you know, a woman or something, and it's coming to an end, 
you want to like wrap that up in a good way. You know, you want to leave on good terms. So it's not dragging you out, dragging your energy out. Same with the foods. Like if you still love chocolate and you're trying to be a breatharian and you don't give it, you never give it to yourself until you're really done with it. It will be like pulling at you. So um, it's learning to, you know, uh, press out and push out into new realms and practice with consistency, you know, for success. And at the same time, give yourself enough allowance that you're not like being hard on yourself or being too rigid, you know, but being flexible. So that's why I'm still juicing for an hour. I feel like I've actually been fully pranic for some time, but to come home after a day of working in a garden and sit with my family around the table and have something, give myself something, you know, it's something yeah. emotionally at this point still need, you know? So that's, that's kind of why. I'm that makes sense. Now. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know in time, there'll be a time where I transition, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get that inkling from within again, where I'm like, okay, it's time to push out. You know, I'm stuck here. I'm stagnating, you know, and we're, we're like trees. We're meant to grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. So, yeah. Well, well, um, do you do like classes and courses there in New Mexico or, I mean, I know you've got this Eventbrite thing coming up online. So talk about that uh, also. Um, but I'm wondering like, um, do people come to where you are and like set up a tent or something and spend a week with you and, and learn all about permaculture and herbal medicines or how does that happen you know can they do that or how does that work yes um you know most of our classes we do as day day classes where we'll take people out foraging in the forest you know or we'll teach about permaculture or cob building which is building with mud you know um things like herbal medicine making um and then my pranic and fasting classes. But we also offer once a year, a two week uh, full permaculture design certification course that's hands on okay. where, where people are with me for two weeks. And we, you know, talk about permaculture design techniques. We, we do hands on learning in the food forest here. Uh, we go gathering uh, things in the, from the forest to, uh, make into tinctures and salves and you know we do fermentation and you know basically all the homesteading skills and permaculture design stuff that we can cram into two weeks and uh, and you know and uh, we start every morning with you know some qigong and some you know medicinal mushroom teas and stuff like that so it's it's kind of a an immersion into this natural lifestyle um, and we love doing that. And I intend to hold more, uh, maybe, uh, longer, uh, pranic, uh, you know, and fasting, uh, courses for like maybe, uh, three or four days where we can explore with dry fasting or juicing, depending on where you are and your level of, you know, uh, willingness and, um, you know, just do all the pranic practice do sun gazing and qigong and, you know, uh, share downloads 
tricks and tips on how I've managed, you know, to do this for myself, you know, and um, so, uh, and then, yeah, I have, I'm going to be doing periodically online stuff because I do have people, you know, in distant places that would like to join, you know, that um, can't necessarily take that time away from work or, you know, jump on a plane, you know, or what have you for a day class, you know, but yeah. want to get a download. So I will be, you know, continuing to teach uh, mostly around prana with that. I would like to do some herbalism stuff, but it's, it's a bit hard to figure out how to do it because up in the forest, I don't get good like signals. So I can't like walk through the forest and show people herbs, for instance, you know, <clears throat> as well, but I can, I can do a bit of that here. So I plan on doing some of that and, and permaculture design. If I get enough uh, people who are, are interested in doing that, reaching out to me, uh, because it's design system is something you can apply anywhere in the world, you know, and uh, Bill Mollison challenges his students you, that you can grow eight acres worth of food on one acre with this design system. Um, wow. So, uh, so that whole thing, you know, all these practices are all ways to remind us that nature is abundant, that we are sovereign and free, you know, that we can that this is actually a heaven realm you know if we create as divine creators we can create it as such and we can create what we want with our lives and that's why we're at where we're at we had to have this kind of uh, experience of contrast to find out what we didn't want you know yeah um, but yeah we, yeah I, yeah the earth the earth can be heaven or it can be hell depending on what you think yeah. Did, um, so I guess people can find out about all your offerings on your, your website, ziapermaculture.com. So now I want to ask you to explain that, ZIA. What, what's the story so, behind the name of your website? Zia is uh, a native, the Native American sun sign. Uh, and it's, okay. the, it's the symbol on our state flag from, from the Zuni Pueblo, or the Zia Pueblo, rather. And um, you know, it's basically, you know, this recognition of the sacredness of the sun and that our bodies and the bodies of plants and everything around us is here because of the sun and the interaction with the sun and the earth. Um, and so, uh, you know, Zia is on the one hand, like a humble bow to the native people who lived here and, and you know, had sacred ways of interacting with nature and you know their bodies and spirits and at the same time a recognition of the sun and its importance as well as a recognition of our state so um that's what the z is about <laughs> okay cool cool are you um what's life like for you and your family in uh and homesteading in new mexico are you like um married with children like how many What's your yeah. daily life like? Are you out? Do you, you kids go to school, homeschooled? Are you like out miles and miles mm -hmm. and miles away from the nearest next person or just we're, over the hill to a big metropolis? We're in an uh, old agricultural community. My wife is a, a ninth generation Chimayo weaver. 
um, so weaving and and agriculture. Life was, generation what? Uh, weaver. Okay, cool. Like the 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 rugs. Geometric stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, beautiful rugs, and you know, made with sheep wool and dyed with native plants. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have a wife and three sons. My my youngest just turned eighteen, so they're adult now and we we homeschooled home birthed homesteaded with them um they definitely got to the point you know around high school where they wanted to get off the farm you know <laughs> so then they started you know exploring public schools and things like that you know but uh you know we we brought them up learning how to forage and grow food and you know take care of their health and you know feel feel proud in those steps that we took for them you know but yeah and my my daily life i still uh, install permaculture gardens for people that's you know the main part of my livelihood is that and my classes and my herbal tinctures and superfoods so on a general day i you know get up and do all my sun gazing meditation practice and stuff and then i go and work in a garden either my garden or someone else's garden oh wow do- so you like setting up your ideal life yeah I, I mean, and you're I do, doing the thing that you love to do. Hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, and then the other things we do is like health consultations and our classes. So it's really great. I just get to connect with awesome people and share this thing that I love doing, or spend my time, you know, in the sun in a garden with the flowers and the birds, and you know, making food for people, helping, you know, tr- sequester carbon and make this transformation on the planet, you know. And, you know, keeps me physically and mentally and, and, you know, spiritually engaged in that way, you know, and um, yeah, it's really, it's a lot of fun as, as my kids are getting older and stuff, my wife and I are looking at, after being on the homestead for 20 years, like we're interested in some travel, you know, we met playing music, so we want to play some music some more and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, other than that, that's, you know, it's been a very idyllic life. You know, it's been what instrument? I'm a drummer. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was gonna say you kind of look. You look like a drummer. Let me just get out. I don't know why I say that. That's cool. (laughs) I am one. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's super fun, and you know, it's just just vibration of joy. Like it's the way we're supposed to be doing as creators. We're everyone is a creator. We've been sold the false bill of good that we're consumers. So we yeah. overconsume food stuff and we overtake from the earth. And, you know, but really our, our joy is in the things we create, our businesses, our families, you know, music, art, you know, um, gardens, you know, things like that are more natural to us than this separation consciousness and, and consumption, you know, sort of uh, modality of being. You know, so yeah, it's like shifting out of separation consciousness into unity consciousness, and it's like uh, when that shifts, the whole paradigm shifts, and it's completely different. It's, it's like you're on in on the on the world, but in the world, but not of it, or you're in a completely different reality from the person next to you. Yeah. You know, you could, yeah, and you just what what you see is not what other people see. Right, and we're meant to be in like community 
communion and community, you know, people, they've done studies on this and people's, it really affects people's health and longevity, you know, to feel that sense of community and community um, and, yeah. and being as opposed to just like uh, every independent, every man for himself kind of way of thinking. Yeah. That Darwinistic idea of, you know, uh, dog eats dog survival of the fittest, you know, uh, moved into, you know, sort of social realms, which, you know, they're finding now more and more that that's not really the case that nature works more on synergy and community yeah. than, and, you know, harmony and equilibrium with, you know, different systems, you know, and not, um, uh, yeah. you know, that other mentality. At least the sickness and breakdown of the individual and the society. And even the people at the top who, you know, quote unquote, win, suffer from it more than any benefits they might get. Yep, e exactly. So that's something I seek to change. And I think that it's that, like you said, if we can just do this, you know, Buddha has a quote, you know, uh, we could make one person happy and that was ourselves and if everyone just did that we would have world peace mm. you know? um and so it's an imperative to the collective and and to the environment that you you know find your greatest health and happiness you know and you like you're saying it's going to raise the vibration to raise the when you raise your vibration you're going to start raising the vibration of those around you and then that just trickles it and grows, you know? And so that's how we're gonna transform the earth. It's not gonna, and, and our culture, it's not gonna come from, you know, governments and, you know, uh, systems, you know, that are seeking to, you know, solve it as a problem. It's more uh, you, us as individuals, getting into our heart and our happiness and our love, wisdom, compassion, vibration for one another and, and the whole planet. You know, and then we can really start having fun. And you're contributing to it from New yeah. Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just living my best life. It's fun out here. I'd love to go to St. Croix sometime, though. Definitely been looking at the U.S. Virgin Islands and and that area. Yeah, for we, yeah, for sure. You could come for sure. We put you up for a while. It's a beautiful Not, place. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's looking behind you, it looks kind of similar. Like, we're, yeah. we have a lot of sunshine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I moved here, like, I tell people, you know, I just came to St. Croix by, you know, random chance, basically, got sent for a job, and I didn't really want to come. And before I visited St. Croix, I, I had a list of like five places I'd like to live if I could get a job there. Be, after St. Croix, I had one, I had a list of one place I have to live no matter what it takes. <laughs> nice. Now it's St. Croix. Yeah. Um, it's really, really, it's really nice here. Um, and, the, you know, because I, I think because the uh, environment is so 
beautiful. It, it's like conducive to the average person, even somebody who's struggling. It's just yeah. more um, it's open more and welcome. Yeah, more prana. Yeah, yeah, beauty feeds us too. We're now you can feel the energy. Like we got off the plane at the airport, yeah. you could feel how good the energy was. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a very healing place. People people come here on vacation for a couple of weeks. They when they get here, they look half dead. When they're leaving, they're full of energy and life. And they think it's from lounging on the beach, but it's the energy. It's from getting in the water, getting the sun, earth, air, water, and fire. You you, you can't you almost can't help get it. Even, yeah. even if you know nothing about it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's so, the, people go in the in the yeah it's so natural to us you know just get out in the sun today for five minutes and pay attention and see how much you know better you feel feel just just from that little little time with the sun you know so mm, <laughs> breaking up shadow shadow go on boy i think i lost you brother Let me give it two more minutes. <laughs> 